good to be here at Bethel this morning. It's good to enjoy the service so far. Good to see a few faces that I haven't seen in a good while. I'm pleased to see the Mark Berry family. And if you remember, I was in your home probably seven or eight years ago in Georgia. And it's good to see you. And Darren and Charlene, I haven't seen you for a while. Good to have you here. Not sure if there's others that aren't normally here. God bless you. The message this morning is entitled, What to Do with Disappointment. I was led to think of this message because it's the end of the year. The end of the year is 2014 has come, and it's basically basically done. We can't accomplish a lot more this year. Not much we can change. It's also for many people somewhat of an inventory time, time when we look back over the year, good times, bad times, memorable times, and times you would rather forget. You've had encouraging experiences and encounters And those are always a blessing to remember. Some, if not all of us, have had a disappointment this past year. And if we were to file it away in our inventory, we would have to put it under that column, a disappointment that happened. We expected better. The outcome did not measure up to the expectation. It fell short. We experienced something that let us down. Someone or something disappointed us. My question is, and hopefully we can answer it from God's Word this morning, is what do you do with disappointment? What do you do with that? What can you do? What should you do? What have the great men and women of the past done with disappointment? I want to share a Bible story this morning. Bible stories are a very good mechanism for teaching the great truths about God and His dealings with man. And we can learn so much from Bible stories because they're interesting and they show us real people in real life situations. Bible stories are found, or Bible narrative, as I prefer to call it, is found in three levels in Scripture. There's the top level of the Bible, great Bible story of God from creation through redemption through the end. And then below that is God's dealing with Israel, the nation Israel. And then below that, the bottom level or bottom tier of Bible stories is the individual stories where God dealt with people down through the years. Each story has a plot. There is a tension that builds throughout the story that is hopefully resolved by the end. There is a protagonist, typically, and some antagonists. And there is often a hero in the story. And because Bible stories are true stories, we can learn from them many valuable lessons. Today's message is titled, What to Do with Disappointment. And I want to tell today a part of the story of Joseph in an Egyptian prison and how he dealt with disappointment in his experience. What can we learn from this and from scriptural teachings elsewhere on this subject? Our text is going to be taken from Genesis chapter 40, if you want to turn there. 
you may. Genesis chapter 40. I want to start with the young man Joseph in prison. He was there not because of a crime, but because he had resisted temptation that his boss's wife had presented. And in her anger, she lied about him and got him committed to prison. The Bible says that he was faithful in his new setting. The Lord was with him. If I was to assign a hero to this story, it would have to be the Lord. Because throughout the account in Genesis, it says again and again, the Lord was with him time and again. Joseph was promoted to a trustee position in the prison. Everything he did turned out well, it seemed. And as a side note, if you wanted to draw an application for us today, do whatever you do well, and God will be pleased with you. God is more pleased with a diligent bottle washer than a sloppy CEO. There seems to have been a conspiracy to poison the Pharaoh. It wasn't entirely successful because the Pharaoh survived. And the finger of blame was pointing at two of the king's close servants. Two of the king's servants fell under suspicion. There was the cupbearer and there was the baker. It seems that these two men were thrown into jail until it could be determined which of the two was the guilty party. These men were assigned to the trustee Joseph in his prison. I'm impressed, I'm impressed with Joseph, his attitude and his concern for these men and their well-being. He also seems to have been a very perceptive person. The story progresses with the dreams that Joseph interprets for these men. And he is careful to give God glory for the interpretation. God must have given these men these dreams because most dreams are very, uh, uh, very, not very valuable in most cases, and they're not very organized and don't mean a whole lot. Joseph, it was a, a sharp young man, and he seized the opportunity to put in a plug for his own release when he had interpreted the butler's dream. God did use that plug to release Joseph, but much later on, two years later. At this point, it was just a source of disappointment for Joseph. And everything was looking pretty dismal for Joseph. I'd like to read the text, Genesis 40. If you would stand while we read Genesis chapter 40. Read it from the English Standard Version text. Verse 1, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream was with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces 
downcast today. They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream there was a vine before me and on the vine there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the, its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not mention Joseph. He forgot him. You may be seated. Seems like up to this time, Joseph's life was a series of downward spirals, downward steps. He started in his life out in, as a member of a large nomadic family. He was 12th in a family of 13. He was the favorite because of who his mom was. And he was the straw boss over his older brothers. He wanted his brothers to like him. Disappointment. Disappointment. Who would like a young whippersnapper like that? He was sold as a slave into Egypt by his spiteful brothers. He worked his way up into Potiphar's house only to be taken down even further on a trumped-up charge and landing into jail. He had wanted Potiphar's favor and respect. Disappointment. Disappointment. In jail, he tried once more to raise himself up by living a faithful and exemplary life. When he was able to interpret a dream for Pharaoh's chief butler, a ray of hope entered into that dark cell. Day after day, he must have wondered if someone would come from his, from his good deed to the butler who had been promoted back into the palace. If something would come, would the butler remember? Maybe he would speak to Pharaoh today. Whose were those footsteps coming now? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Disappointment and more disappointment. How do you deal with disappointment. Do you shrug it off? 
How often can you shrug it off? How long can you keep a good attitude when the setbacks just keep on coming? Do you pout like a little kid? Like Ahab did when he turned his face to the wall and would eat no bread? Do you retreat into yourself? Do you get angry? Something enabled Joseph to deal with disappointment in a good way. What was it? How can we deal with disappointments that will surely come our way? And I don't know what it is in your life. I know what it is in mine. I know what it was that disappointed me this past year. But I don't know what your disappointment necessarily is. Maybe it's a nagging illness that just won't heal. Maybe it's being overlooked by an employer. Maybe it's not being able to have any children. Maybe it's a financial setback. Maybe it's some rejection that you've experienced from someone that you very much wanted as a friend. What should we do with disappointment? Well, first of all, I would like to say that we should not be surprised by disappointment. If our expectations are based on people, we will be disappointed. Most people aren't really mean. They're just human beings. They don't have it in for us, but they're human. People forget. People are selfish. People are absorbed in their own world. John 16, verse 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. If our expectation is based on earthly wealth, we stand an excellent chance of being disappointed. Proverbs says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. If our confidence is in our own strength and means we will surely be disappointed. If you haven't discovered that truth yet, you are either very young or very naive or both. You will disappoint yourself. Maybe you have grown impatient with God. You feel that God surely could have worked by now. And I'm sure that Joseph, in that nasty old prison, prayed really, really, really hard. God, please let the butler talk to the king. God, please talk to Pharaoh and get me out of here. You know, it was a terrible prison. It wasn't a paid vacation that he was having. Genesis doesn't tell us how terrible it was, but if you read Psalm 105, it says, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. It wasn't a walk in the park. They, they strapped him down. Obviously, he had some freedom at times. You know, the Bible talks about a lot of people who have faced some disappointment in their lives. Abram waited and waited for a son. Moses spent 40 years in the outback, before he was fit to lead the people out of Egypt. 
In the end, he never did enter the promised land. David was anointed king and then spent years running for his life. Elijah battled depression. Jeremiah was thrown into jail when he spoke the truth and warned the people. You will also face some disappointment in life. Sometimes there will be disappointment. Maybe not as severe as Joseph, but it's going to happen. What are you going to do with it? That is the question. What are you going to do with disappointment? Second point I'd like to make here is that we choose how we will respond to difficult times. It is our choice as to how we will respond when we are disappointed. I have observed that many people have a healthy dose of victimization in their attitude. I am a product of my family. If you knew my family, good night. If you knew who, where I came from, you'd understand why it's like that with me. I'm a product of my family. I can't help it. I'm a victim. And you know, I see that, that whole attitude kind of propagating itself down generationally. It will continue to move on down through. I'm just a victim. I just can't help it. We're just, we're just not, we're not doing well. And, and our family, our, father, our parents didn't do well. We didn't do well. And our kids sure aren't going to do well either. A, a method of victimization. And I'm here to tell you today that we can change. We can change that attitude in our setting. We can change that legacy that so many people have in response to disappointment in life. We can change that. And one of the prime examples that I have in my mind of a person who changed that legacy was Joseph. If you look at Joseph's legacy, his family background was not that great at all. They were a bunch of liars and cheats. They were, they were not a good family. But I see in Joseph a change. Joseph changed that legacy. And he is a good example of how one person can stop the bleeding. He made the right choices. He chose to trust in God. He chose to keep a good attitude toward God. He chose not to let the circumstances of his life ruin his spirit. He chose to let God work in his life and in his heart. I'm going to say that you have three basic choices with disappointment. And there would probably be more, but there are three basic ones that I want to talk about this morning. The first one is what we would call retreat. Faced with disappointment, we can retreat. For some of you, that is the choice that you would make sometimes. If you are faced with a big old disappointment of some type, something happened that, that just disappointed you, you will retreat. And this is a temptation I personally fail is to face is to retreat. When I have come up against some, some huge disappointment, I'll just back off. I will go, I'm not going down that path. Retreat is a passive response that is not in God's plan. I'll be very frank with you. It's not God's plan that you retreat when faced with disappointment. It's a temptation. God, you say, this is not working out. This must not be what I'm supposed to be doing. 
Nobody appreciates what I'm doing. I'm going to quit. Nobody likes me anymore. Retreat is not a good response. God may be redirecting you, but He is not asking you to retreat. Galatians 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Don't be weary in doing the right thing. The admonition from the Apostle Paul here is you will experience opposition. You will experience selfish people who care less, who could care less. You will experience people who are ungrateful. You will work with people who are uncooperative and downright unpleasant. Yes, you will. But we will reap what we sow if we retreat into ourselves and quit sowing, we will reap an empty life with few rewards. If we don't let circumstances and people stop us, we will eventually reap a good reward. That's what this scripture is telling us. And this passage in Galatians tells us that we need to keep on doing good regardless. Regardless of disappointment. Not focusing on present responses, but being faithful to God. If we retreat, we are abdicating our post. It's not a good response. For those of you who are tempted to retreat, as I am at times, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't retreat. Because God's grace is there for what you need to do. And we need to go to Him and ask for that grace and continue to seek that grace and that, that help from God in doing what He is asking us to do. The th second response is, an, is a, an aggressive response, and that is the one of revenge. What do I do when I'm disappointed? When somebody hurts me, when something bad happens to me, and I'm disappointed? It's not what I expected. I'm disappointed. Uh, many people will seek revenge of some type. I'm hurting. Somebody else is going to hurt as well. And many people, unfortunately, live a life based on revenge. In their hearts, there is the desire to hurt other people because they've been hurt in some way. That's the incentive. They live their life like that. It's, it's a terrible way to live. And I think of Joseph down in that dungeon. The young man Joseph did nothing wrong to, to be there. It was a very unjust circumstance if you look at it that way. And I can see Joseph... The human response would have been, just wait, just you wait, just you wait. Somebody's going to pay for this. 
Everybody let me down. My brothers let me down. They sold me off. Potiphar's wife did me in. The butler. <laughs> Much good it did to say something to him. Just wait. And we can easily nurse grudges in our spare time as well. It's a miserable way to live. And it's not God's way to live. Leviticus 19 says, Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is from the Old Testament. Now that Romans 12, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As Christians... We need to have forgiveness in our hearts and lives. That's tough. That's tough to do. I expect there's some here that are working their way through to forgiveness. I hope you are. It doesn't come instantly sometimes. We have to work our way through. We have to work our way through. Allow God's love to, to come into our lives and manifests itself in our relationships. We dare not harbor revenge. The third response is the one that I am going to advocate this morning. It's called renewal. How many of you actually believe Romans 8.28, where it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. How many of you believe that Scripture? That's, that's, that is a dynamic truth that I've got to remind myself of. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not um, vague at all. It says that in all things... That in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. In all things. And I think that's the key to handling disappointment. That is what will renew us in our hearts and in our lives, is to understand God's hand working in us. And quit looking at that person who may have hurt us, or that circumstance that happened to us, that we really are disappointed. And quit focusing on that, but look and God and say, God, I thank you that in all things you are working for my good. In all things, God is working for my good. I've got to believe that. And I think that Joseph believed that. I know he did because later on when he was talking to his brothers, he said, you meant it for evil. You guys are a bunch of crooks. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. 
And I think that's how Joseph was able to to live out his life in in a way that he did, which is so refreshing to look at. We can choose renewal. A couple of points underneath that. We should choose renewal. We can choose renewal. The first one I'd like to make underneath that heading is we need to trust God in His timing. We need to trust God in His timing. We get impatient in our troubled times. Why, not, why does not God go ahead and get things straightened out? Why should this drag on? I'm sure Joseph was thinking those thoughts in that prison. It's getting a little old down here in this stinky place. And there are many, many men and women of God who got impatient with God and, and didn't wait his time. Abraham got tired of waiting for his promised son and, and he had Ishmael. Moses got impatient and killed a man. Moses later got impatient and he smote the rock. I invite you to open your Bibles for a passage in John chapter 11. I want to illustrate this point. John chapter 11, begin reading at verse 1. It's the account of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I'll be skipping around a little bit in there. John chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent him to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Skipping down to verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. It's as far as I'm going to read. My first question to you and to myself is, was God ignorant? Is God ignorant of our situation? It's a silly question, isn't it? Was God ignorant of what was going on with Lazarus and that he was sick and about to die? No, he wasn't ignorant. He knew about it. Does God know that you're going through something right now that's disappointed you and that you don't care for at all? Does God, is God ignorant? No, he's not ignorant. He knows. He is not ignorant about our situation. Doesn't he know how difficult this bill, this situation is, this bill is overdue? Doesn't he know how sick I am? 
Doesn't he know about this disappointment? The answer is, is, is no, he's not ignorant. The second question I would ask you, is God indifferent? Was the Lord indifferent to what was going on? Sure seems that way sometimes, doesn't it? That he, he's, he knows all about it, we can grasp that, but it, you know, he doesn't, doesn't really care. But that's the wrong answer. He is not indifferent. He cared about Lazarus and Martha and Mary. His love, the Bible says he loved them. His concern was real. He wasn't ignoring the situation. Lazarus is gasping for breath and the look of death is in his face. Mary and Martha are getting frantic. When will Jesus get here? Please come, Jesus. I thought Jesus cared about stuff like this. Or when Joseph tried to find a more comfortable place in that old prison cell. When day after dark day passed and nothing happened. Is God indifferent? We might think so, but He's not. God is not indifferent. He cares. He cares. He cares when you stub your toe. He knows when you lose a hair. He's not indifferent. The third question we might ask is, is God impotent? Could He not with a word take care of the situation? Yes. Is He really strong enough to get me out of this painful situation? Isaiah asked that question. When he says, when I came, was there no one? Why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to ransom you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke, I dry up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the sky with darkness and make sackcloth its covering. Is God impotent? No, He's not. He's all-powerful. Can we trust God in our disappointing situation? Yes, we can. Because He can take care of that. I think that Joseph must have learned this about his God. And that he was able to deal with his disappointments. His absolute trust in God. That he knew what he was doing was the first step. Second point I'd like to make here is that we need to focus on others and their needs. You know, we face the disappointment in our experience and we can dwell on that. We can dwell on that disappointment. We can dwell on it and we can dwell on what if, oh, what if, what if, what if, why did that have to happen? One of the answers to that situation is to move our focus from ourselves to others and their needs. I read this story of a seminary professor who went into depression because he felt he wasn't accomplishing anything. Everything seemed hopeless. 
One day a visiting friend urged him to think of people who had been a major help to him and from that list to select one person to whom to write a letter expressing his gratitude. The man thought about it for some time and into his mind's eye came the face of a school teacher he had had when he was a small boy. This teacher had instilled in him a love of literature and he was grateful. So he decided to write her a letter telling her how she had inspired him. He received a reply in the shaky handwriting of the elderly woman. The note said, Dear William, when I read your letter, I was blinded with tears, for I remember you as a little fellow in my class. You have warmed my old heart. I taught school for 50 years. Yours is the first letter of thanks I have received from a student, and I shall cherish it until I die. With that letter, a little sliver of light came into the dungeon of this professor's life. He was encouraged to write another thank you note to a significant person in his life, and then another, and another, until he had written 500 notes of gratitude and was no longer in depression. Focus, focus away from our situation to helping others. And I think Joseph may have discovered that. He, he was in, his interest seemed to be pleasing other people. He, he was pleasing the Potiphar. He was a, his interest in the butler and the baker, his offer to help. All these things tells me that he had learned to, to focus away from his situation and to other people. Finally, we need to find the opportunities rather than focusing on the disappointment. You know, there's a disappointment that God brought into your life. It's keen. You understand it. It's very vivid in your mind, that disappointment. But it's very possible that God is redirecting our lives, our ministry to some other way. Focusing on the other opportunities that may be there is very, very useful, a way to move on. We need to wrap this up. What is your response to disappointment? As you look back over 2014, maybe you didn't have any significant disappointments. Some of, some of you may have had one or two or more. But what, what has been your response to disappointment? We looked at some of the wrong responses. They, they are retreat, giving up, getting discouraged. There are revenge. Those are wrong responses. The right response is renewal. It's to allow God to work. Trusting God in His purpose and timing. That He knows what He's doing, that He cares, and that He's strong. Can take care of it. What will be your response? I want to close with a bit of focus on Romans 8.28. And I, I believe that that verse, but sometimes it seems like I don't. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You can claim that promise. You can chalk it up. You can put it wherever. We know that if you love God, everything He does is for your good. 
and we can trust him. That's what we need to do with our disappointment is to trust God. That he, in fact, knows what he's doing and he's doing it for our good. God bless you and we'll call for a song.